Hi, everyone. Before we get to the show, I wanted to let you know about my new on-demand course for discovering and developing core values. On this podcast, I've chatted with many guests about the importance of incorporating core values in their life and career. High achievers will tell you it's the key to many of their accomplishments. I get asked a lot by readers of Friday Forward and Elevate about the best way to do this, and I haven't had an easy answer to date. This course is that way. The course walks you through a tested method to help you brainstorm, refine, and test a list of personal core values. The course can be completed in about an hour, but it will prompt plenty of reflection and work in the days, weeks, and months that follow. Start discovering the principles that matter most to you and get better alignment. You can learn more about the course at corevaluescourse.com. I hope you check it out at corevaluescourse.com. Now let's get to the episode. The inventors of the internet, their main goal was to connect us all and connect us to information easier. Well, by the time there were 40 million websites in just 10 years, an organizing principle had to rise to the top and it became attention. Early on, it seemed logical to say, if a lot of us gave our attention to something, it must be valuable. But of course, we know that's not the way it worked out. You're listening to the Elevate Podcast, and I'm your host, Robert Glazer. Join me as I talk to world-class performers about how they build their capacity and reach greater heights in leadership, business, and life, and how you can do the same. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. Our quote for today is from Sophie B. Hawkins, I'm always looking for good news. Our guest today, Dr. Linda Ulrich, has made an intentional effort to share more good news with the world. She's the founder of Ever Widening Circles, an organization dedicated to connecting people around the globe to insights, innovations, and good news that would otherwise go uncelebrated. She's also the author of the recent book, Happiness is an Option, a talented speaker who recently delivered a very popular TEDx talk. Linda, welcome. It's great to have you join us on the Elevate podcast. Hi, I'm so delighted. I, I can't tell you how much I've looked forward to this chat. Uh, it's taken us a while, but we made it happen. So I like to start at the beginning and hear sort of the origin story. Given the focus of your work and what you do today, I think a lot of people would be surprised to learn that you got your start as a dentist. So how did you, <laughs> how did that career path uh, evolve for you? And what made you start out in that? And then what made you move out of that? Well, you know, Bob, everything we are today is just the result of every single thing, good and bad, that's happened to us. And my story to be here sitting with you starts with the fact that my dad was an amazing physician who gave his life to the humanity of others. And um, we never knew him. <laughs> he just wasn't home. And Dr. Doolin was a dentist next door who drove in the driveway every night at six o'clock and got to go to his kids' hmm. basketball games. So I became a dentist with a passion towards serving others. Um, I became a dentist because I knew that I could also have a family life. And for 30 years, my husband is also a dentist. We were childhood sweethearts. Um, for 30 years, Chuck and I built a practice that was focused on keeping the hum humanity in healthcare. We found something to celebrate with every single patient who came in, no matter their circumstances. And through that kind of a a real opportunity to get a window into people's lives every six months, thousands of people. I started to notice in about 2010, 11, 12, 13, that most people were showing some signs of future fatalism. People were starting to talk about how the world was going to heck in a handbasket. And people that I'd known 
as otherwise chipper for 20 years. We're starting to, to really ha have those downward spiral conversations much easier. So I would constantly say, gosh, somebody's got to do something about this negative news. Gosh, somebody's got to do something about this. And then one day I got an email from a young boy I'd known since he was a toddler. And he was writing me from a foxhole in a very bleak place in the world. And in his darkest moment, questioning the world, he thought to write me. And he asked me a pretty hard question about what made the world worth hanging around for. Because all the news from home was bad. Everything around him he saw was bad. And I knew that I had to connect this kid with someplace on the internet where he could get his joy for life, his wonder, his sense of a positive future is possible back. And so I dove into the internet <laughs> for three weeks. I searched for someplace with no politics that would appeal to somebody of any generation and any culture. <laughs> and, you, and you didn't find anything? It was a mess. <laughs> it was a total mess. Uh, you know, what I, what I found, I would think I would land on someplace that I thought was going to be just ducky. And then you'd figure out they had some horrifying a commercial or political agenda, or they were, anyway, it was a mess, as you would imagine. And one day I just snapped, I said, okay, somebody does have to do something about this, and it's going to be me. And I'm one of these people that is an early adopter of technology. So I found a young man locally who could help me start a website, and I vowed to write one article every day on anything under the sun that would prove it is still an amazing world. Now, to add to this story, my husband was the captain of the University of Kentucky basketball team. Wow. So we started traveling the world at age 18 through basketball. And by the time our kids were 20 years old, they'd seen the world. They, we'd, we'd, we have Irish passports. They'd lived abroad. They'd been to 28 countries. They'd slept on plywood in Tibet. So we knew, my husband and I both knew that the world was an amazing place and that we were never going to know that if we left it up to the internet or the negative news. So that was my ethos. And those are the kind of articles I started writing one a day um, about the world and why it was still an amazing place, regardless of the, the pressure of the internet and the news cycle to show us otherwise relentlessly. <laughs> and since then um, I had a daughter that graduated from Harvard in, in 2015 and she joined me and she made it a thousand times better, more professional, not a passion project. And we quickly had 170,000 Facebook fans. We went viral um, in 2018 with 1.7 million search uh, requests in about two hours on Reddit from an article in Reddit about ever widening circles. So that was proof of concept was that the world really did want the full picture of what's going on out there, not just this negative slice that seems to be propagated at every angle. So you're saying that people want the good stuff, which I agree with, mm -hmm. right? But let, let's say like the, the news and the stuff that's out there now is like the car crash, right? You just, you can't look away from it on the other side of the road. So if it's not what people want, mm -hmm. why is it what they're consuming so mm -hmm. much? Okay. So um, I always like to go back a little bit on this. You know, the internet is a human construction, just like the industrial revolution, the printing press, everything back to the dawn of time. So the internet in 1993, there were only 130 websites in the whole of the internet. And 10 years later, 2003, there were 40 million. 
Now, remember, the inventors of the internet, their main goal was to connect us all and connect us to information easier. Well, by the time there were 40 million websites in just 10 years, uh, an organizing principle had to rise to the top, and it became attention. Early on, it seemed logical to say, if a lot of us gave our attention to something, it must be valuable. But of course, we know that's not the way it worked out. Of course, there were people who figured out if they could trigger our lizard brain, the oldest, most primitive impulses we have, fear, anger, and scarcity, they could get our attention just like that. And we would be almost powerless to ignore. And without our knowing it, this is the direction that the internet has gone. Social media is almost completely designed to trigger our worst emotions. And they use very sophisticated neuroscience to get us to click on scary headlines. Yeah, this is the movie, The Social Dilemma that's out right now, really dives into the people that created the stuff at all the companies talking about (laughs) feeling guilt around what they had created. Absolutely. And you know what I love about that documentary? I tell people every chance I get, watch the documentary. If you've given your kids and you're paying for cell phones, it ought to be just part of the deal that they know about the game being played with their emotions. This documentary is not more doom and gloom. It's simply the people who invented the internet as we use it today, a bit remorseful, not a bit remorseful, quite remorseful, telling us exactly how we got here. Well, it's not, and you say it's not, I mean, it's not just social media. I mean, I've always said my kids are older now, but one of the things I was the scaredest of of them watching the evening news, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it just like (laughs) could require an hour of counseling after the evening news. There's good stuff going on in the world, but you can't name it and call it a storm or disaster or, you know, make it, I mean, it's really, really bad. Yeah. I mean, even people with good intentions, I mean, this is where ever widening circles is at is that we're focusing on good news, but we're competing. It's one level playing field for everyone. It doesn't matter. Good intentions have no place on the internet (laughs) as far as what gets rewarded. What gets rewarded is what we give our attention to. That's it. And if they can catch our eye with a scary headline or a blobfish or an anaconda with a human form in it, they're going to do that. (laughs) Okay, but I but I read that, I watch that, I mm-hmm. feel terrible. Why wouldn't I then say I'm going to go read Ever Widening Circles today? Like, yeah. I, don't people notice the feedback loop? I, I've said throughout COVID, um, when I've talked to a family member or a friend and they sound depressed or sort of beaten down or whatever, I will say, "Were you watching the news a lot today?" And they'll be, "Oh yeah, I had whatever on for two hours." Right? I mean, it's I, it's a weird thing where we, it's like, "Oh, it makes me mm-hmm. feel terrible. Let me go do it again." Mm-hmm. Okay. So when I, I mentioned the lizard brain a moment ago, I think it's time for, for us to just understand a little bit about basic physiology, understand our brains a little bit. And more and more people are getting interested in this. So I, I love this opportunity to just mention it is that there's a part of our brain called the amygdala that's as old as the lizard brain. That's why yeah. it's funny related to that. But anyway, that part of our brain is in charge of, we've all heard about it, fight or flight. Yeah. It's the part of our brain that makes us pull our hand away from a hot stove if we touch it before we've even thought about it. It's the part that makes you, when you're driving in a car, throw your arm in front of your kid if you have to stop fast, right? Yeah. 
So that part of our brain is what kept us alive for millions of years because it reacted. It was a, it was an instantaneous millisecond reaction to anything dangerous or disorder. That's it. Unfortunately, <laughs> that's part of our brain is still in charge. If we go to the internet without intention, this is the thing. There was no rules of the road when the internet was evolving. There was no user manual. There was no internet hygiene being taught, like, like yeah. dental hygiene. No, right? It just evolved. And so now what you get, you know, when you see somebody sitting at lunch and they scroll, 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 click, scroll, 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 click, and literally stay on things for a millisecond. Oh, that, I mean, that's, that's the kid, like daughter on Instagram. Mm -hmm. It's how they use the apps. It's like not even exactly. a tenth of a second on anything. Okay. So that is bad. On being on, <laughs> uh, yes, it's bad Be because it's being on autopilot. Yeah. It's just letting that part of you, that lizard brain drive in the driver's seat. And what happens is, is my easiest way to explain this to people is to say, your click is a vote. Someone is counting every single click we make and what we click on, we get more of. It's just as simple as that. And we are teaching our algorithms by every one of those scroll, 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 click, scroll, 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 click, we are teaching our algorithms what to send us next. So algorithms were supposed to be something good, just like they explained in the movie, The Social Dilemma. They were they invented to be like a shortcut, just a easier yeah. way to get us to where we needed to go. But now it's shaping our worldview. Uh, we think that we are seeing reality on the internet, but we are only seeing a slice of reality. And if we can't get get along with our uncle George at the Thanksgiving table, <laughs> <laughs> it, we shouldn't be surprised. Our reality is as unique as a fingerprint now because of the way the internet draw, uh, is shaping our worldview. So I tell people this. We have all the power on the internet. The very thing that I just mentioned that makes us feel like victims, um, what we click on, we get more of, that very thing means that we actually have all the power. So if we can just pause for about a millisecond, we can teach our children not to engage on the internet like that. We can pause for a millisecond and ignore about 80% of what we used to click on. That will fundamentally change the world we're seeing on the internet because no clicks is death to any internet construct. And if more and more and more of us knew about this relationship between what we give our attention to and what rises to the top on the internet, we could change that about, it'll only take right. about 25% of us. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? Two years ago, I bought a dual suspension mountain bike for the first time, and it pushed me to ride trails that I had never been willing to try before. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has exceptional capability that will have you seeing the possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. The Lexus GX comes with available dynamic sky panorama glass roof, available front row massaging seats, best-in-class towing capacity, available 33-inch all-terrain tires, and available multi-terrain select. I've seen the new Lexus GX popping up all around my town, and not only does it have the capabilities to take you to new places on and off the road, but it's a great-looking car. The new Lexus GX is ready to raise the bar for you. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. 
When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and free. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. It helps you identify and hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Case in point, last year I asked the CEO of a major ski resort how he got his job, and he told me that he saw it on LinkedIn and decided to apply. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. The team at LinkedIn is also constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process easier and quicker. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash practical. That's linkedin.com slash practical to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. We're making, we're making the car crash. That's right. You know, the, the number one thing, the thing that you know you shouldn't look at, but you just can't help yourself. Yeah. And then, then it backs up traffic and creates havoc, right? Yeah. And maybe, I, and I should just tell you that I, I don't, I just never let myself click on, on things that are getting at me through my emotions. Yeah. I use two things to decide what to click on. I ask myself really quick, do we need more of this? That's it. Yeah. I'm not kidding. That that's and now it's gotten so it happens in my brain so fast I really don't even have to think about it. But hey, I am curious about anything that might mean danger or disorder for my family. But if I look at that headline and it's got some weird emotional word in it that I can tell has contempt attached to it, nope. It's not helpful or thoughtful. I won't click on it no matter what. Right. So there's not helpful or thoughtful. But That's there's it. also this aspect of it's just not accurate, right? <laughs> and yes. we were talking about this before. And, and you, tie, you, know, you have the algorithm feeding the conspiracy yes. uh, in a lot of cases, and it's just, you know, that's cooking with gas. Yeah, we, we really have to consider the source. And, you know, I don't know. I don't need any more work in my life. <laughs> I don't want to like go through social media meticulously and have to say, oh, should I click on that? Because I'm curious, but what's the source? And I have to go, no. You know, the internet is smart enough and fast enough and big enough for our brains to recognize good intention from about a mile away or bad intention. We could have the self-discipline to exercise those choices a lot more often. In 2017, entrepreneur John Rampton was frustrated with the available calendar tools, which led him to create Calendar.com. Calendar.com allows all of your different calendars to come together in one place. It also has some great features that solve many of the common frustration of team calendars. Smart links with notifications ensure you never need to worry about double booking or no-shows. The Find a Time feature compares everyone's schedules at once, finding the optimum time to meet, No more emailing back and forth trying to find out when everyone is free. And you also get analytics that will give you reports that show how you and your team are spending your time, allowing you to be more efficient. If you're looking to make yourself or your team more efficient this year, head over to calendar.com now to start your 30-day free trial and see the difference for yourself. That's C-A-L-E-N-D-A-R.com.
So there's a lot, we talked about this, you know, one of our favorite topics is, is conspiracy theories, right? Yeah. And, and, and the negative aspect, you've, you've flipped this, right? So I through, <laughs> through ever widening circles, you have, yes. you have this phrase that you like to use the conspiracy mm-hmm. of, of goodness. So right. uh, this is your movement. Um, yes. wh- why do you refer to it as a conspiracy and, and tell us about it and, and the impact that you're hoping that it will have? Right. Well, in March of 2019, uh, 18, maybe it was, I was talking to, I talked to many, many of the thought leaders that we write about at Everwinding Circles. And I was talking to this amazing thought leader named Brian Krifter from Stanford, Connecticut. He has a project called the Stanford Peace Project, where they use AAU basketball to teach citizenship and scholarliness and family values to all the the kids that join this program. It's amazing. Um, It's an amazing program. So while I was talking to him, he was asking me about Everwinding Circles, and he said, oh, Linda, that's just like the conspiracy of goodness story that my dad used to tell people about. His dad was uh, superintendent of the schools in Brooklyn. He said, you know that story of the conspiracy of goodness, don't you? And I said, no. And he told me, and I'm a questioner, so I went and did a lot of research to find the very first mention of those three words together, conspiracy of goodness, and I found it. Hmm. So here's the story, Bob. Not many people know that during World War II, there was a village called Le Chambon, France, a little tiny French village that managed to save 3,500 Jews from the Nazi concentration camps with with, um, no formal organization at all. And at great risk to their own lives, this little village saved thousands of people for years. So In 1986, there was a rabbi, Harold Schulweis, who was giving a talk about that chapter in history in Europe. And at the end of the talk, an old man stood up in the back of the room who had been one of the Dutch rescuers. And he said, how come all anybody talks about with regard to World War II is the conspiracy of evil? He said, do you think I could have hidden an entire family in my home for years without the active participation of the milkman, the mailman, and the neighbors? He said, no, for every one person saved, there were seven who were rescuers. Hmm. It was a conspiracy of goodness. That is who we are, Bob. We are not who we see on the internet and social media. We are doers. We are givers. We have been for thousands of years. When I heard that story, it explained the Underground Railroad. It explained it explained so many things that in humanity that have been movements to just turn away from things that that were madness and destroying us. And so <laughs> that's how we got the conspiracy of goodness. Now I looked at every article we ever wrote for Everwinding Circles and said, yes, that is part of our shared humanity that has gotten us out of jams over and over again. Do you know, is that the village that Adam Grant wrote about in Originals, the study about what made people rescuers and not? Mm. Um, do you know that story? I do not know that story. I know of Adam Grant's work. I, I'm not. I'm writing that down. I, I wrote about it in something. It was it was a study he found, but yeah. he, when he talked about it, it was about what made certain 
people be rescuers mm-hmm. and not mm-hmm. during the Holocaust. And the biggest thing about people who are rescuers or not was their parents had taught them sort of values and principles that would have made that the obvious thing for them to do, right? Not not rules, but there there were there were higher level values in the families that were like, of course, this is what we're going to do. This is sort of who I am. So that begs the question, you know, in terms of how we get ourselves out of this, is it is it a matter of values, or where does this have to come from, or have our values changed? I, I mean, mm-hmm. one of the one of the key data points, and Robert Brooks is, has re- talked about this in several of his his books recently is this shift to individualism, right? From mm-hmm. collectivism. And I was just reading his book, The Second Mountain recently, and he mm-hmm. talks about we move from community to tribe and community mm-hmm. is like positive connotations and tribe is like you you come together with your anger <laughs> to mm-hmm. fight against something. And and mm-hmm. so there, you, you started off saying you were hearing these things in the chair, mm-hmm. but uh, values and some of these things are are not, these aren't quick fixes. No, I, I think that, that certain times in human history have called um, on our sense of greater, the greater good. Right. I mean, when you really think about what was going on before World War II, we were not in good shape. But boy, once our back was to the wall, we came together. We did things that would seem impossible. And I think that there's something about the greater good that, that comes out in the worst of times um, to save us all. <laughs> <laughs> and I really, I really see that now. I don't forget. I, I, I can't hit this part of our conversation without pointing out that proximity and this constant repetition makes us think there is so much chaos out there. But that's just because of the repetition. This is this is not what you see in your community. This is not what I see in my community. I see countless people doing the most amazing things. I was just recently talking to a police officer who said, things are so much quieter than they used to be. People are behaving. Um, Not everywhere. I mean, I've been in Kyber, one of the largest slums in the world. And when I asked those guys, uh, I was with a group of artists there, a million people, and they don't have sewage. It just runs in the streets. I asked those guys if they thought the world was going to hell in a handbasket. And they paused for a minute. And then they started to smile and told me all the amazing things that people are doing for the children in Kibera. I don't know. I, I just think that we've got to remember that repetition means truth in our brain, but it isn't truth. Repetition is not truth. It's just repetition. <laughs> right. So you have the high frequency stuff versus right. the low frequency stuff. Yeah. Because we all have a countless experiences on our personal lives every day, I would, I would uh, offer that show us the best that we have in each other. And I, I really believe that there is plenty, plenty, plenty of goodwill around to turn the page and open a new era. Yeah, I mean, look at the popularity of the some some good news yeah. uh, that uh, the guy right. did, uh, John Kirkensky. Right. Yeah, and, and and there's just uh, there's just so many people doing good right now. Uh, people have turned away from the news, and they are doing things. That's the next chapter that I've heard in my my dental practice is that I talk to all, all so many people every day, every week, every month. And I ask people every day, so what have you learned from the pandemic about your life or your future or whatever? People are doing the darndest things, Bob. Yeah. They're just giving up on all the doom and gloom and they're taking care of a neighbor or they love to play the piano. So they're going to the nursing home and playing every Friday night or they're, they're teaching, they're doing things online to help kids. It's, it's amazing how much good one is. 
Yeah. So in summary, I think what you made me sort of picture is that the problem is we have low quality stuff and high frequency and high quality stuff and low frequency, right? That is a brilliant way to put it. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. And and I can't um, let our conversation get too far without mentioning a few things that I loved about in your book, Elevate, that really apply to our online lives and being and making a better online life of it. I remember from Elevate, it's been a while, I read it right as it came out, but didn't you kind of break things down into three, four things that we should really um, try and elevate in our lives, try and get our spirituality and our and our values help up? Our, four capacities, so spiritual, yes, that, yes, intellectual, yes. physical, and emotional. Yeah. Yeah. Now think about the way the internet is preying on our minds in, in probably three out of the four of those categories. I tell you, we've got to get our heads around opening a new relationship with the internet. It's due. It's only 20, 25 years old. There's no great human innovation that wasn't due for an upgrade, a rethink, a retooling after 20 years. It's just that the internet moves so darn fast, we didn't get to try on new iterations of it. But it's time that we recognize the internet should be nothing more than a tool in our lives, nothing. And that like a hammer, it, it can be used to build things or demolish things. Hey, Elevate listeners. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify is the partner you need to keep the cash register ringing for your e-commerce business. <coughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading platforms. I advise a lot of companies in the e-commerce space, and almost all of them have migrated to Shopify. And as a buyer, what I love about buying from Shopify-enabled sites is that they already know who I am, and I don't have to create a new account or enter all my payment info. The ShopPay service makes it faster and easier to buy, which surely helps with conversions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash elevate, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash elevate now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash elevate. Yeah, my, my youngest son loves watching YouTube videos, and I'm normally fighting with him about what he's watching. But recently, I, I'm not gonna, I don't know their names, but I think they have the most followers, like 40 million followers. And they go around giving stuff away. And they're so popular that they've been basically getting all these sponsors to give them the stuff to give away. You know, he loves watching this. And, you know, they're like self-promotional and stuff, but they were doing Uber rides. And at the end of the car, they were giving people the car. And and they have 40 million followers. So it is, it is possible. I have goosebumps. This is exactly what I'm trying to point to, Bob, is that th that generation, they are the first digital natives. Yeah. They will run circles around this whole system once they realize the game being played with their emotions. <laughs> we old folks will not be able to control how they react once they realize that the internet is built probably to ruin their future because they have the impulse you just described. They want wonder. They want to see the best in others. They're not jaded as we are. We think they are and we think they're naive, but they're not. 
<laughs> they know the score and they will choose goodness. If you give them a choice, plenty won't, but plenty will. And if they've got decent mentors in their life, it doesn't have to be parents, it could be grandparents, it could be teachers, they will choose right. Yeah. And, and, you know, I was watching this thinking, look, they're being given the car, they're being given the money, they're being given the sponsorship to do something positive, not to fall off a building or put themselves yeah. in danger. Or right. it's just, a, I, I hadn't really seen, I hadn't seen anything like that before. And it was nice to see that, you know, they had, they were winning with that model. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's coming. I, I really believe we're right on the verge. Now, there's a great number I want to share with you um, and your audience, you know, it's really easy to get bummed and say, oh, Dr. Linda, she's so rose-colored glasses. Um, <laughs> I get that all yeah, the time. Yeah, I would say, that you're, not to interrupt you, I, you fall into the category, but you're a pragmatic optimist, not a, not a blind <laughs> optimist, but a pragmatic <laughs> Well, I go by the numbers. I, I'm a scientist. I'm a doctor. I'm a dentist. I, I have to go with science. Okay. So one day when I was kind of down about the world, I can't remember what six things happened that particular day, which made me really you know, question, because I am a questioner. <laughs> I came upon this amazing study, thank gosh, um, that the University of London and the University of Pennsylvania did. They were commissioned by uh, the World Economic Forum to find out exactly how many people it takes to make something go from the periphery of society to becoming just the way it's done. And I don't know, on my darkest days, I might think, oh, it takes 80%. 80% of us have to believe it before we can make something happen. And then on a good day, I might think 51%. But it turns out it's only 25%. Hmm. There's a whole lot of neuroscience that kicks in. But once 25% of us accept a new social norm, it sweeps through society and becomes just the way it is. And I know this to be true by a very funny example. So when I was growing up, I mentioned my dad was a doctor. My mom was a nurse. They were educated people. I remember, Bob, you're too young to remember this, but I remember my mom would turn around in the car and look at us and say, for God's sakes, this car is a mess. And 60 miles an hour, we would all roll down our windows and throw all the garbage out the windows. But this was normal. And then one day there was a public service announcement some people who are listening will remember this it was very, very famous. It was almost silent. It was a, somebody dressed up as a Native American in full Indian stereotype headdress on a horse beside a highway. And a car whizzed by and threw this giant bag of garbage right at this guy's feet. And nothing was said, just a big tear went down his face. And that public service announcement changed everything. After that, it was no longer acceptable to just roll down the windows and throw your garbage. You were just considered such a dirtbag if you did that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and this is an example. Not everyone saw that public service announcement. Probably only 25% did, but it profoundly changed the way we think of, of that particular terrible um, habit that was going on in society, just throwing garbage constantly out the windows of cars. Um, so I think we're there with the internet. I think that 25% of us have just had it with the chaos, the negativity, and the division. I don't hear very many people of any persuasion, generation, culture, or politics saying, oh, this is a great time to be alive. (laughs) No. (laughs) There's 25% of us ready for a change. 
and hopefully it'll be coming. So tell me, you just released the book. Yeah. Happiness is an option. Give us some of the highlights. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So with my journey going from ordinary person to global, you know, uh, web publisher, this has been quite an eye-opening journey. I was always a super early adopter of technology. I was fixing teeth with computers in 2003. So leaps don't come difficult to me, but I tell you, what a bucket of water in the face it has been to learn the secrets of the internet, um, baptism by fire for seven years. And I really felt like when the pandemic hit, we were about as our lowest as we could go as far as having the internet. Con- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that, that was, the internet was having such a a terrible effect on society. I, I was just picturing the uh, the stick on the floor, the you know, oh. for the how low can you go? The uh, why oh. can't I think of the name? Um, <laughs> what's the party game where you while you? Uh, oh well, it's like limbo. <laughs> limbo, right? I can't yes. couldn't think of the word limbo, yes. right? Just the yes. stick, right? Beginning in March, <laughs> the stick was just on the floor. Yeah. I don't know. I kind of think of it like the game Twister. Have you ever played the game yeah. Twister? Four people, Twister, all in knots, ready to just collapse in a pile. That's the way we were. Yeah. And um, I was actually working on a different book about the conspiracy of goodness. I was just going to write a book and tell all the stories from the conspiracy of goodness that I had. And a thought leader called me up about three weeks in the pandemic and said, Dr. Linda, don't you have something to say about this? <laughs> this is a nightmare. Can't we? Yeah. And so I switched gears and I found a publisher who uh, I wrote it in about 60 days. And then I found a publisher who could, um, who could get it out by September 1st, just a, a week before the social dilemma. And in the book, Happiness is an Option, I give people the plan. I love The Social Dilemma, that movie, but they don't give us a plan. I kept watching it and waiting for the moments to tick by, and they never did tell us what to do. But in the book, I tell people about four simple shifts that they can make to see an entirely different world on the screens in their lives. And I'll give them to you really, really quick, but we thought it was so important that people know about these four shifts. Um, that we've created a website at fourshifts.com. You can either spell it or you can write the letter fourshifts.com. And we've created a 10-minute read so people can have these. And I'm trying to get to that 25% of the world knowing these four shifts and using them. And then we'll open a new era. So here they are. I've already talked about part of them. The first shift is to pause before you click on anything. Hmm. Pause for a millisecond and ask yourself, do we need more of this? And if we don't, ignore more because we can ignore the chaos builders right into obscurity. That's the bottom line. No one is creating content if we don't click on it. So the first shift is to just pause a millisecond, shift up to your conscious brain and say, "Uh, uh, no, I tell people never click out of three things, Bob, never click out of in ABC mode, anger, boredom, or morbid curiosity. If you never give anything on the internet your attention out of anger, boredom, or curiosity, we could lose about 80% of the crazy internet traffic that we're all engaging in right now. It's not a bad, we just don't know that that's the way the internet is structured. So pause, ignore more. The third shift is seek signs of goodness and progress, because for now, the internet will not bring it to you. So when you go to the internet, go with intention, seek goodness and progress, and then leave, go have a life, go be with your kids, go cook something amazing, go take an extraordinary walk. 
but we need to go to the internet with intention, seek goodness and progress. And then when we find it, the fourth shift is share it. Content creators care almost nothing about what we like. It's all about the share. It's all about what we share. And if we share signs of goodness and progress wildly, that will be what rises to the top of the internet. It's just the math. It's just the way the internet is built. So the four shifts are what I talk about in the, in the book and a whole lot of other amazing things I've learned to help people navigate our online lives. Because here's the thing. We used to have a working life and a personal life. Yeah. <laughs> Until no one had an office to go to. Yeah. yeah. And now we have an online life that is, for some of us, ruining one or both of the others because it's giving this, us this crazy worldview that is wrong and partial and unbalanced and all those things. So if we pause, ignore more, seek signs of goodness and progress and share it, we're going to have a balanced worldview and we can talk to our kids a different way. We can make better business decisions. We, there's just no end to the way our lives would improve once we change our relationship with the internet. So the happiness is an option about, is about that. And the TED talk is what I'm really um, guiding people to as much as I can now. Um, it's called Exposing the Conspiracy of Goodness. And um, I was very honored to be the closer for one of the largest TEDx's in the country, TEDx Naperville, an amazing event yeah. that happens every year. And um, I really felt like given that the extraordinary speakers that, that that event organizer had, I had to offer something to the world that could give us peace of mind and a path forward. So in those 12 minutes, people can learn about the conspiracy of goodness and how it's a historical um, pattern that can serve us now and we can open a new era together. Those are good rules to live by. All right. I have a final question for you and mm -hmm. you can choose to make it singular repeated, but what is the mistake personally or professionally that you've learned the most from in your career? That one came pretty easy to me. Um, <laughs> I love people. And so I will keep, um, I will keep people in my lives a lot longer than I should, even though there's a very obvious mismatch in energy, in goals, in values, in whatever. So I think what I've done over my life that has um, kept me back not particularly in ever-widening circles because I'd been in business for 25 years when I started ever-widening circles. Um, but I think in my life, my personal life and, and my business life, I think I will try, I, I would try a lot harder to have really honest and open conversations about whether I'm having a good fit with somebody and whether they, they feel like it's a good fit rather than let kind of broken relationships just go on and on and on and on. Um, you know, very often in our efforts to be nice, we're not very nice to ourselves. Yeah. So that's one of the biggest mistakes I made. I, I spent about 20 years trying to nurture relationships that weren't a good fit to start with. And, um, oh, but <laughs> in the last, in the last 10 and going forward, I'm just going to make sure that I'm in relationships that support who I am and, um, and the best that I can be as a person. Well, you'll have to check out Friday Forward this Friday because it has wow. peace on that for the new year of cut, cutting out the energy vampires in your life, I think. yeah. <laughs> yes, that's right. Now, Bob, I cannot let this interview uh, end without saying how much I enjoy your work. 
I have to say there are only two blogs. Oh, this is going to make somebody mad, <laughs> but there are only two blogs. I never um, miss reading and that's Seth Godin's and yours. Thank you. You guys have a, a way with words and concise and um, preserving people's dignity, even when you have to write hard things that is just so magical. And um, I also tell people <laughs> often that I love the book Elevate so much because it's a book I would have written and you've just saved me writing a whole book. I love everything in that book. I love all the, all the books you refer people to, the philosophers, the quotes. It's really, it's, I, I feel very, very fortunate to, to know you, Bob. And so thanks for this conversation and all that you do to make the world a better place. Thank you so much, Linda. So where, where can people learn more about you and your work? Well, my, my new direction, I've uh, made my daughter uh, the CEO of Everwinding Circles. And my new direction is to do a lot of public speaking. I really want to get to that 25%. I want 25% of the planet <laughs> to hear this message about the conspiracy of goodness and that we can open a new chapter in history and that it's not that hard. So um, I have a website called Dr. Dr. Linda.com, Dr. Linda.com, Dr. L-Y-N-D-A. I'm a, I'm a Y, Linda. And Everwidening Circles, everwideningcircles.com is the website that you should go to every day as if it's exercise or, or nutrition. <laughs> we need to nurture that other part of our worldview. And Everwidening Circles is a place you can trust for no agenda and just celebration of what's right with the world. Great. Well, Linda, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, love what you're doing, conversation, and and I hope that you are out there finding that twenty percent and can help us turn this thing around. Uh, we're we're all on it. I know, and you're you're one of the charter members of the Conspiracy of Goodness, Bob. All right, it's the only conspiracy I'm willing to to be part of. <laughs> <laughs> to our listeners, thanks for tuning into the Elevate podcast today. We'll include links to Dr. Linda and her work on the detailed episode page at robertglazer.com. If you enjoyed today's episode or you listen to other episodes in general, I'd really appreciate if you could leave us a review. Uh, it's the number one thing that helps new users discover the show and learn from it. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, you just select the library icon on your phone, click on Elevate, and scroll down to the bottom to leave a rating and review. Thanks again for your support. Till next time, keep elevating. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously. 
which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.